Episode 47, Lifestyle and Exercise Psychology, Food Blogger and Marketer. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Ebony Butler Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. I am very excited. We are in week three of a six-week series highlighting African-American doctors and an extra special guest. So far, we've been hearing from PhD psychologists, doctors of education. We're going to have a medical doctor coming up soon, as well as a brilliant computer programmer. We've not only been covering the unique aspects of being an African-American doctor, but also working in an African-American community and other races. We've heard and we will hear the good, the bad, and the unexpected. Plus, everybody has a unique background and unique qualities that we get to explore in each episode. So I'm super stoked to continue our African-American Holiday Spotlight series. Let's do this. Today's going to be a good show. Our guest, Dr. Butler, goes into a little bit more details about the unique perspective of the black community when it comes to food and healthcare and psychology. She'll dive into her own personal struggle with weight gain and what kind of mind shifts she had to have to drop that weight and conquer that. But stay tuned to the middle and the end because then we start talking about her going live on social media, her workshops that she's created, how to go from free to paid, how important marketing is in a psychology clinic, and a whole bunch more. All the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash four seven. Travel tip is at the very end. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from the United States of America, welcome to a Doctor's Perspective podcast. We have a psychologist who looks at the mental as well as the physical of all things weight loss. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Ebony Butler. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. I, I saw your Instagram and I saw some of the things that you were doing. I was like, oh, this is this will be good. Oh, amazing. You never know who's watching. I love that. Exactly. I mean, we had a, a guy on the other day talking about low-carb living. I just looked at that on your website. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to, to, to bridge from that and, and learn a new angle. Yes, yes, yes. I'm excited. All right. So let's just jump in. There's a lot of things you can do in your life. How did you pick psychology? Yeah. So I remember being in high school and having a, a, a teacher who was actually so crazy about psychology. And I was like, oh, I want to learn about that. But I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I went to college. I majored in psychology and I wanted to be able to understand at a deeper level what people were experiencing. Uh, you hear people say, oh, I want to know about the mind. I really wanted to know what led to some of these things uh, from a more behavioral perspective. And I really wanted to know what was going on in the black community and to be able to help uh, those issues in the black community and be able to kind of break the stigma that was there because I grew up with the stigma about mental health and I wanted to help kind of break down those barriers. So that's initially why I went into psychology. Let's just jump into that. Okay. What are some of the, I guess, common misconceptions that that affect black society as far as, as mental health? Oh, sure. It's uh, You don't want to be looked at as crazy. If there's anything that's going on, you keep that in your house. What goes on in the house stays in the house because we don't want anybody to figure out our business because there's a huge uh, level of mistrust historically amongst uh, the black community and uh, providers. 
Um, you look at the Tuskegee experiment and those doctors and the whole syphilis thing. So there's a huge just mistrust there. And, and from time that's been passed on. And we don't want people to already count something else against us when we already have so much against us. So we're always trying to put our best foot forward. And to be crazy on top of that means that you're even at a, you're at a more disadvantage. So don't tell anybody anything. We want to put on like everything is OK. So that keeps a lot of people from going to seek the help that they actually need. And it keeps a lot of problems perpetuated in the community that could otherwise be resolved and we just kind of realize that this isn't a black issue. This isn't a white issue. This is a person, human issue. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing that what you are doing is, is helping bridge that in your community? Yeah. So I hear a lot of people tell me, although it's through my inbox, of course, that they'll like I suffer with depression. I suffer with anxiety. I thought about suicide. I just don't understand why I'm so lonely and everybody around me thinks I'm happy. I prayed about it. I asked God to help me and nothing is still resolving. Um, Nothing is happening. So what I do is I I offer some help kind of do that that way, that that uh, approach. But largely people are becoming more and more cognizant of their own issues and being able to talk about that a little bit more. And I think on a larger scale, we're realizing that we just can't keep this to ourselves because what we're keeping to ourselves is actually hurting us. And so I've seen a lot more people come around and say, hey, I don't believe that. And what I was taught actually isn't the truth. And so I'm willing to to kind of say that and learn a different way because that way has not been working. Hmm. So I, I have seen people uh, begin to do that. And it also is geographically uh, sort of sensitive. So if I go back to Mississippi, I still find that we are a little bit slower in Mississippi. But if I go out to the West Coast, oh, it's an accessory to have a therapist for everybody. Right. So, it, it, you know, it just depends on where you are. And now here in Texas, it, it's, it's, no, it's no big thing either. We recognize that this is also something that we need and we'll, we're more willing to talk about it. It is taking some time, but I think on a larger scale, it is happening. And do you find that if you're able to have an African-American doctor for the African-American community, that it just bridges it that much easier to have them to come in? Sometimes, because some of the things that happen, one of the things that happens is that people think, oh, this is going to be great. I've been uh, sort of experienced that in the work field, too. Uh, This is going to be great. People are going to uh, come to you or it's going to be better uh, to have an, another a minority there. While that's true in some instances, sometimes it's also a hindrance because people may feel like that's too close to home and I would rather not tell somebody that much about myself. So that's too close and mm. I'm embarrassed. It's kind of like I see a lot of it with men and men and female therapists. Some men would rather go talk to female therapists and coaches if they have like a erectile dysfunction or some sexual issue because it's too embarrassing to go talk to another male about it. So you kind of have some of those same dynamics. I, sometimes they rather talk to another minority because they feel like they get it. But sometimes it's too close to home. I want to talk to somebody who who may not have a bias or who's completely out of my community. And I feel like it's still a little bit of distance between me and the issue or them knowing the issue. Well, that's Yeah, that is really interesting because you would expect the my general my general idea would be we're similar. We know where Mm -hmm. we're coming from. But then at the same time, that like I said, maybe that's too close for comfort. Sometimes Ah. it is. But I've experienced uh, the the other part of this is another minority. They may understand more than I have that part, but I definitely have seen it. Um, I definitely have have seen it. And then my older uh, clients that I've worked with also 
they kind of, so if there's an older woman that I'm working with, an older black woman, she kind of sees me as her or has seen me as her niece. Yeah. Or something like that. What do you and know, so youngster? Take it as seriously. So, yeah. So that's the barrier. I think that, that, that bridges all cultures on that one. Yes, yes, yes. I know sometimes these acupuncturists in uh, China, the older people is like, they can't really recommend anything because they're like, look, you whippersnapper, you're only. <laughs> 25 years old you don't know what a seven-year-old is going to deal with and like all right if that's how you want to be right but a body is a body and i, and I think I, you're the expert and so this is what i tell people so you're the expert where you sit i'm an expert where i sit how about we blend the two and try to come up with something that'll work because just telling me that i'm too young is not going to get you it's not going to get you far so let's see what let's see what we can do exactly. and then so therapy is really cool and that all of that is data and that you can bring into the room so if you think i'm too young let's talk about what some of those hang-ups are and so let's talk about some of those thought processes so all of that is really just data that we can use so it ends up oh no out doc really- you're tricking yeah. me now you're tricking me everything <laughs> <laughs> we're always tricking people <laughs> so people think <laughs> uh, well what is your what is your specialty what makes you the person to go to yeah. So, uh, so I, as I told you before, I got into this whole field wanting to help out the community. And then, so when I started out, I was a very different person. I was overweight. I was kind of living in my, in my culture, living in my tradition of overeating, uh, what I knew to be normal. College life is already a place where you just eat all the time and you don't care what you eat. But then I came from a family that really wasn't health focused. Mm-hmm. So as I, as I kind of got through undergrad, I started to notice that by my senior year in undergrad, I was the heaviest that I had ever been in my life. And so I decided, I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to go on a diet. About eight years later, I was like, there's something to this because by this time I've gone through a master's program and I'm almost, well, I'm almost done with my doctorate program and I was actually doing my internship and, and postdoc. I was like, something's to this and it's not, why? Because I had a membership when I was an undergrad, membership to a gym, I never went. I said, what is it about me now that's different than where I was when I was in college that is so completely different? And why am I going to the gym now? But I was not going then. And I had a membership every month. What's different? And what I decided and finally realized was different was my mindset. I said, there's something different about who I am now than who I was then. And a large part of that is that I've grown up. My mindset has changed. My perspective about who I am has changed. I'm learning a lot more about who I am. I realize a lot more of what my identity is. And that is what has sustained me rather than what was going on prior. So I said, there's something to weight loss. And it's not as easy as get a gym membership and go to the gym. There's a whole mindset that that happens and a mindset shift that has to happen in order for the weight loss process to take place in order for that to be consistent. So I, I realized with my sister, because my sister also lost, she lost 75 pounds. And so we began to talk about it and we said, there's there's something that you have to do in your mind. And it's the mental battle that happens every single day. Mm-hmm. It's, no, it's not about a meal plan. It's not about uh, going to the gym. But the battle that both of us were having was making ourselves do something else every single day. And it was the part of getting over what your mind was telling you. And I said, you know what? We're perfect for this. If I had known better when I was going through grad school, I would have majored in health psychology. Oh, yeah. Because... 
full focus. And it's about changing health behaviors. But I didn't know what was happening for myself. I didn't know that because the large focus of health psychology at that time was diabetes and cancer. I didn't want to do cancer. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. But now that I realize my focus is really health psychology Mm -hmm. and helping people understand how to change their health behaviors so that they're healthier and understanding that from a mental perspective. So while I'm also trained some um, formally trained in trauma and PTSD and anxiety as a psychologist, but on the coaching side of things um, is more of health and how do you recognize what behaviors you're engaging in that's creating the health problems that you have and how do, how do those behaviors start? And most of them start from a mental standpoint, a mindset. So, and we learned that when we're children, we learn that from our relationships with our parents, what they teach us. And we learn that over time just by existing in this world and learning to navigate the world. So having to undo all of that first takes you to make up your mind every single time to do something different. So that's where the work is. And I would think the PTSD and all that stuff would be a, a good bridge because, like you said, you could have grown up, parents over eight, nobody cared. Yeah. And then you may have cared at some point because you were thin and then something happens <laughs> and then you start turning to food. And now you're eating when you're not hungry, getting really big, and you don't even know what's going on. You can't stop yourself. so much with people who have childhood sexual trauma Mm -hmm. um, and that they eat to to soothe. And people who just have relationship issues, at the beginning of relationships, the most common thing that people do is eat. Um, And then when there's a breakup, the most common thing that people do is either eat or not eat. Um, drink or not drink or or overeat. And so there's a huge connection. And so you're absolutely right. Um, the trauma piece is definitely huge because trauma doesn't have to be something sexual, but it can definitely be something emotional. It can be something so tragic that it's happened in your life that completely threw you uh, for a loop and you're trying to find some normalcy. Um, something that's familiar and a lot of times that go-to is food and by the time we look up we don't realize that we've gained weight we become unhealthy we've developed diseases and then we're trying to rush to do something about it and so that's where I think the problem is and, and so you're right it does it is and boys are pretty mean at a young age they could oh they could say something real quick and we don't uh-huh. you know they said that sticks and stones don't in words uh-huh. that's a bunch of baloney break my oh, arm yeah. because words you'll remember that you were, I remember being bullied when I was little and the things that stick with me most are the things that people said about me, mm-hmm. not the things that people did or kind of tried to trip me or, you know, things like that. But the things that people said because of how I looked are the things that stay with me. And if you ask anybody who was ever bullied, the things that they will remember most are the things that people said, the things that drove an emotion an intense negative emotion because we, we, we remember emotions. Um, and so that is huge and being bullied is huge yeah. and it sticks with you. Yeah. It sticks with you because food becomes a confidant. Food becomes a companion. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely remember the times you put your foot in your mouth and you're like, Oh yeah, that's going to be, yeah. it scars you. And you're like, all right, well now I've learned and it affects what you do later. It, it absolutely does. Well, you look absolutely. great. So you, thank you. How long have you been on a weight loss or how long has your journey been? So I started back in 2004 and I tell all the people that I meet, all my clients. And when I go live, I tell them that I really did start out for aesthetics. I really just wanted to be skinny. (laughs) I won't lie about it. (laughs) I will make up some 
reason I really started out because I was the heaviest and I saw myself in a picture and I said, I've got to do something about this. And all I knew at that time in 2004 was to lose weight because I didn't like what I saw in the picture and being skinny was going to make me look better. Mm-hmm. The more I uh, advanced in years later, it took about seven or six, seven years later, I realized that I was still skinny fat. Mm-hmm. I was skinny, but I still had a lot of unhealthy behaviors, drinking, which I still do enjoy a cocktail. I won't say that I, won't, I don't, but I was drinking, eating whatever I wanted on the weekends, eating a whole bunch of sugar. So I kind of started switching up my sugar intake probably about five, I say four, about four years ago. And I realized that sugar was what was keeping me skinny fat. Yeah. Cause I didn't understand it. I did not understand this whole sugar thing. So it, so it's been since 2004, but every couple of years, I learned something differently. I learned something different about my body. And that's why I tell people, you've got to stick with it because you're going to continue to learn something. Uh, I learned something different about my body. I learned something different about my the way my body works as I age. So the thing that I've actually started doing now is I decided, because sometimes I go to the extreme, I decided that I was going to enter into a bikini competition. All right. <laughs> yeah, so... In June, I hired a trainer, uh, a personal trainer, because I've never trained with anybody before. All these years, I've never trained with anybody. Um, but decided to hire a personal trainer to help me sculpt my body to be a bikini competitor. So that's what I'm doing now. And so I've been doing that since June. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm learning. When's your competition? So I'm really ambitious and I'm not like any other, I'm, I'm not unlike any other weight loss client that you've seen. I want things overnight as well. Yeah. So I thought that I would start in June and then by September, I would be ready. (laughs) 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 And then my trainer told me, absolutely not. So my show is next summer. So it looks like this is going to be a year uh, of me sculpting my body, changing my behaviors and really getting to the place where I'm able, I'm actually ready to compete. We had a guest, well, we, I, whatever, during the women's series over the summer, and that's what she did. She, her and her husband are both bodybuilders. And I actually got to see him the day after his competition. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, Sue, so what are you like 2% body fat? He's like, no, this is yes. like 8%. I was like, oh my goodness. And for her too, like she was pregnant at the time, but the oh. picture she gave us, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, gotta, that's so much effort. So much. Like they lean out so much and they become so small. I just, I told my trainer, this is a one and done for me. He's convinced that I'm going to compete. You're going to love it. Once you get to that level and your, your arms are a little bit bigger and your belly's not <laughs> showing at all, you'll be like, this is great. I just can't. I, I really am finding it very hard. I understand now. Oh, another reason I decided to do this is because I felt like I was so removed from the struggle. Like, you know uh-huh. how you can do something for so long and you're like, OK, what's so hard about it? Just don't drink the sodas all day like just drink some water and you don't really understand the struggle anymore and I felt yeah. like I was too removed to be effective for my clients and because I'm an extremist again I, I said, let me throw myself back into a struggle and and what can I do what else can I do for my body what else can I do for my business mm-hmm. and then that's what I decided to do so I understand the struggle because yeah. right now I'm really tired of eating plain rice and plain chicken because I haven't used seasoning I don't use seasoning <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> well, good luck for the summer. <laughs> and the holidays, right? Oh, yeah. start over. We just start over. <laughs> so 
a question that I would have is when you're looking at being skinny and it seems, and I could be wrong, in the African-American community, being a little thicker isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like some of the guys like it, some of the girls might like it. Is that inaccurate or? No, you're accurate. Um, Health-wise, it's not good. But if that's what is pleasing for your opposite sex. I think that's also regional and geographical. Because I found that in the South, I found that it's definitely preferred to be a little bit thicker. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I may be too small. <laughs> I think I'm too small for what people may like in the back. But when I went to, when I lived in California, everybody was lean. Everybody was small, skinny, sculpted. And that was great. I do think even I experienced this being told by my family that I looked sick. So when I started losing weight, I was told that I looked sick. I was um, asked if I had been doing drugs, if I had started drugs um, or it, playing out if I was a crackhead wow. like literally um, and these were people that I didn't even know like I went to a football game once and somebody pulled me to the side and she was like are you a crackhead <laughs> like because there's no reason you know, to be this thin there's no reason for you to be this thin and another thing that they said was you're skinny now why do you continue to go to the gym so the mindset around going to the gym was that you go to the gym to get skinny once you're skinny you don't need to keep going to the gym. Right. Because we don't have hearts. Like, forget about the hearts. Yeah, heart. forget about all the forget health about- benefits. <laughs> but you go to get skinny, and then the mission is accomplished. Why do you need to keep going? Yeah. So it, I definitely have experienced that. And people, when you go home, tell me, oh, you can eat. You can stand to eat some more. You, you, you probably need to eat. You look like you haven't eaten. Right. Oh, man, that's definitely a South thing, too. Oh, yeah. You look like you haven't eaten. You need to eat. Oh, you're not going to eat? Oh, and then when I do eat, it's a spectacle and everybody wants to watch and they'll say, oh, and they've actually said this to me. Oh, well, we're going to watch you eat all of that because we don't believe that you're going to actually eat all of that. Yeah. And, and, and people don't realize that these things, I mean, we talk about bullying as a child, but these things also stay with you because while you think you're doing something healthy for your body, good for you and you feel good about it, other people think that you are, you look bad or that you're doing something bad right. and that doesn't feel Right, because if you had, I mean, we see that all the time. It's like, I don't need two or three or four pieces of chicken. I just need one, and I'm happy. I just need one, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I just want a little piece of this brownie so that I can satisfy the taste, and then I'm okay. I don't have to eat the whole thing, and I'm okay with that. You know, there there was a time when, I thought everybody had this, when you get the buffet, you're like, well, I'm going to make my money's worth off this buffet. Yeah. And then you grow yeah. up or if you've struggled with weight, like I've gotten, I've lost some weight, you've lost some weight. Buffets are still nice, but you don't have yeah. that, that mentality like I'm going to win. It's just let me yeah, try what I want and I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Key word, mentality. Mentality and perspective. So once that shifts, your entire experience shifts. Because you don't need to eat everything off the buffet in order to feel like you've gotten your money's worth. And I grew up that way in a family that didn't have a lot of money. So when you went out to eat or when you had the luxury of eating at a place or eating something that wasn't sort of the usual, you ate all of it. Yeah. And you ate all of it because it was like good heart. This was our good hard earned money. And one of the common things that we heard is that if we don't eat it, where the kids in Africa are starving. And I talk about this also with my clients. And I tell them, I said, so if I eat it all, aren't the kids in Africa still starving? Yes, I've eaten it up from them. So what what am I doing to help them? And how does that 
um, sort of that statement becomes so ingrained in us that we actually believe that we're doing something bad to someone else if we don't eat all of our food. And so it's those kind of teachings that we have to undo. And that's what I teach my clients. We have to undo all of those faulty mindsets, those faulty thinking patterns that lead us to a place of overeating because we think we're going to we're going to waste our money. We're not going to get our money's worth or we're going to have some poor kid in Africa starving. Right. All of those keep us unhealthy. And that that's going to bridge right into this question of what are some, when you're actually having like a counseling session with someone, what are some of the common concerns that the patients do ask? What is their typical uh, hindrances? Yeah, so so if I'm completely honest, I have to kind of uh, be a little bit clear about how I distinguish these two, and I'm still working on that. And part of what's happening is that as a psychologist, I refer to them as patients. As a coach, I refer to them as, as clients. Okay. And, I, and you could do both. But I have to make sure that I don't confuse anybody into thinking that they're actually coming to have therapy with me right. when we are trying to help them lose weight. And that is coaching because because I am a psychologist, people confuse that. And so one of the things that I do is we're working on um, until I figure that whole thing out. And, uh, unless we're working on some trauma or some other deeper mental issue, if we're working on weight loss, this is coaching. Um, and so when you're coming to a coaching session, some of the things that they are worried about is uh, why can't I be consistent? Why can't I stay motivated? Why is it that I just can't stop eating when I know that I'm full? So why don't I recognize my uh, my stopping point? Why can't I keep doing it past like five days? And why is it that I don't feel like doing anything at all? Those are the common things that people have. Now, when I'm working um, on things like trauma and that kind of thing, people are interested in their recovery and they basically want a cure. So one of the myths that they have is that psychologists is going to cure them. And it's not like going to the medical doctor where we give you a pill and bam, you're cured. That disease is gone. This is something that you have to work at. So I find myself in both places teaching patience, teaching perspective, and teaching realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing I think that people struggle with is understanding what's realistic, what is going to happen now, what am I going to have to wait for? And one of the reasons why I flip flop between the two and one of the things that I'll talk about later if we come to that question is that as a psychologist going through grad school, we weren't taught this part of who you can be as a professional. We were taught the standard come into my office, sit on my couch type of therapy. Uh, I was not taught. I know specifically that we could be so much more than just come to my couch. And so I'm trying to still find that space where I am comfortable with saying, hey, I'm a coach and I do this without confusing the public because I definitely don't want to do that. So I'm still trying to finesse those words and find that space where I can do both and do both legally and ethically. Because the coaching part would be kind of cool because you're actually going to have a doctor background. So you're going to have tips and tricks and ways to fool yourself. Like we've done these experiments in the research. I can actually do that to you without you realizing it or maybe let you know too to overcome Mm -hmm. it as a coach, but you're not still not a client going to that deeper level of finding out like what is triggering you to want to overeat. That's a whole nother layer we you can get into, but we're not going to do that here. Here's just tricks to overcome yeah. overeating or whatever. And I, and I definitely think that that's what, that's where I stand out is because I can't undo the fact that I'm a psychologist. I can't undo my training. I can't undo that. I can't unlearn what I've learned. 
Um, so I have to be cognizant of that. And I had this actual conversation with one of my supervisors and I was really struggling with my identity and bringing that into work and telling people what I did at work. And one of the things that she said to me is, why is that such a bad thing? Why can't you talk about what you do and who you are and the experiences that you've had? That doesn't mean that you are in, that you are trying to trick people. The ethical issue comes in is when people knowingly deceive people and um, sort of tell them lies into thinking that, that this is you're providing therapy, but saying coaching. So she kind of helped me with that a little bit. And I have to often go back to that. So, yeah, I think what makes me unique is that I definitely have that background of understanding faulty thinking patterns. And I understand what it takes to undo those. So I, I bring those to the weight loss uh, relationship with food setting. And uh, concept, and I help people understand from that perspective that there are some things you can do because I can't, I can't unlearn the skills that I have. And so, I, what I do is be upfront with them and let them know this is in therapy. However, you're engaging in some patterns of thinking that have gotten you where you are. Here's what I know helps. Here's what you actually practice it because these things have proven true for people who were even dealing with being raped in the military. And I know that if we can undo some of those faulty patterns of thinking that are associated with um, that kind of trauma, we can undo some faulty thinking patterns that are associated with the way that you were raised and the relationship that you developed with food. Um, so I kind of do it in a teaching. Um, so I teach um, and then I do workshops and that kind of thing. So I find myself more educating people versus let me get all into your background and figure out what to do, that kind of thing. Do you find that if you look at like a hierarchy, a doctor, a psychologist is definitely higher than a coach. And so sometimes the coaches get in trouble with what their words are because they're maybe trying to be like a therapist. Was there any like issues for you to have to say, how do I lower myself to be a coach when I'm actually a doctor, but like to have that patient client wordage? That's so funny because I actually do think sometimes I am not working in my purpose. And I do feel like sometimes because I may not understand, not that coaches are any less than doctors, because some doctors are coaches. Right. And there's a lot of psychologists that I found here in Austin that actually do the exact same thing. So I found myself because I didn't understand coaching mm -hmm. at first when I first started feeling like I needed to to kind of bring myself down to a point. But then when I realized that coach is just a term and coach is an umbrella term yeah. and we all actually are coaches and some of us have doctorate degrees and some of us have advanced degrees. So I felt like I was not doing my living in my purpose at that point. And I had to kind of stop doing that and kind of just began to live at the level where I honestly was and, and felt more authentic and more genuine. So here's what I, here's what I know about coaching in, in psychology and why it gets confusing for me. Coaching is an unregulated field. So anyone can call themselves a coach, mm -hmm. which then takes away some of the credibility of people who call themselves a coach. So therefore, me as a doctor would seem like I'm entering into it, it. For some people, it would seem like I'm taking a step backwards. Right. So why would you go? To, your field is regulated. Why would you do something that's completely unregulated where any Joe Blow can call themselves a coach? Right, right. And it happened in the beginning because I was trying to find my identity. Right. And so I was trying to figure out what can I do without ethically um, doing something that goes against my practice as a psychologist. And I know that I want to talk about this, but what can I label myself? Because I felt like I needed a label. 
What do I need to label myself that would help me get my message out and help me reach people that needed my help with this whole weight loss thing? And that's the label that I gravitate towards. I no longer really think of myself like a coach um, because because I think anybody can call themselves a coach. And I think what we do honestly is coaching. If you were to teach somebody how to do a podcast, you would be coaching them. Exactly. Um, so you would be a coach. So I think we all do that. A, a professor can be a coach if they stepped outside of the university. So I'd rather just um, call myself what I am and say, this is what I do and begin to kind of be careful not to blur the line. So when I'm working one-on-one, be sure to let people know that this isn't therapy, but I am going to educate you about some things that could be happening for you. And here are some things that you can do to help, help progress and help yourself meet your goals and eventually take that weight off that you're trying to get off. So I do on my Instagram page, you'll see that I refer to myself as a mindset shifter. And I also refer to myself uh, as a food relationship expert. So that's kind of, trying to move out of those fields because I feel like everybody is a coach now and it, and it doesn't really do anything when people hear it. You just sound like everybody else. And that really doesn't help your branding. It really doesn't help your image. So yeah, I still am working with that too. No, I'm with you. I mean, cause it's like, okay, if everybody can be a coach, what is going to make me stand out from every other weight loss coach out there? You're like, well, I'm actually a doctor. I actually yeah. struggled with this stuff. So you're going to get a different viewpoint than someone who just maybe lost 30 pounds on their own from reading books and things like that. But I hope, I hope the audience is understanding. It feels like we're on a tangent here about like just your story, my story, but there's so much hidden in what you're talking about because I know for, I've had that same idea. Like I wanted to branch out into something, but I'm like, where does my liability end and begin as a doctor versus just trying to be, I'm just being a coach. I'm not being your doctor. I'm just, just trying to be your guider. Yeah. And it's like, does the law still apply? Like how much reliability do I still have? And it does. It takes some time to explore that. We owe that to the community that we're working with to be able to set those apart because that's one of the reasons and that's one of the things that you don't get with the coaching field. You don't have somebody holding that community accountable for the things that they do with the community. So you can hire a coach and then they're just the coach. And they don't have any liability or any ethical standards by which they're living by. And I think as doctors, we have an ethical responsibility to make sure that we are caring for people in a way that's going to help them be their best. And then it's going to help us practice the most ethically. So that's why I say, hey, yes, I am a psychologist. And if you want to work with me, we're going to this looks like this is a totally different contract. This is a totally different set of informed consent. This is a totally different setup. And if you're if we're working as a coach, this is what this is going to look like. Here's how we're going to explore it. Yeah, they may sound alike, but here's what it is. And I want to make sure that you understand it, because I want to make sure that you're not deceived in any way. And I want to make sure that I'm doing right by the public. So that's my first and foremost uh, sort of priority. Right. And when we're talking, we shift gears just a little bit, but I think it, it dovetails on what you're talking about. When, when you're talking about like a doctor who's just getting out of the out of uh, all their schooling and, and finally finished with all their hours, or maybe there's a student who's thinking about what you're doing, but isn't really sure, like, can I do that? Like, how do I bridge the two? Do you have any advice for these types of uh, individuals? Yes. So uh, one of the things that I wish somebody had done with me was to ask me, and they did, they asked the kind of, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And we gave all of those interview appropriate um, answers, right? But I really wish somebody had said, think about where you really want to see yourself in 10 years. And if that lines up with the person that you want to become and your values and all of that, and I wish it had been more than just the standard interview question of, or get to know you question. Because I really do believe that if I had known 
or had taken all of my experiences into account um, and looked at my longer term goal, it would have helped me um, identify my niche. It would have helped me identify my, my path. And while I did that, I always knew I wanted to work for veterans. So I knew I was going into the VA, but I knew I didn't want to work for veterans forever or or within a particular type of setting. So if we had sort of gotten a little bit deeper into that answer, I think it would have helped to solidify more of the path. So people who are going through this and who are college students, I would really ask them, where do you see yourself long term? And why? And where do you want to go to and why? And and why? Like that why? Do you just want to be a doctor in a white coat? Do you just want the doctor in front of your name? Is this what your parents want? But what do, what do you feel like you're passionate about and begin to car- let that role be carved out for you? One of the things that I also want them to know is that it will change. Yeah. Some of the things that you wanted to do, they will change because of your experiences. They will change because of your mentors. They will change because of the things that you find out about yourself and who you are becoming. And allow that to change because ultimately you're going to end up right where you want to be and to be flexible and open to that and to also be patient. This takes a very long time. And if you think it's going to happen after four years, even when you graduate, you're not done because you still have to do a postdoc and you still have to be somebody's supervisee and it's never done. (laughs) So be patient and flexible, patient and flexible because it's going to change. Would you recommend when someone's done with their postdoc and everything, whatever you think your goals are, put them in a calendar and revisit them in about two years. That way you can see if anything's changed. Yeah, I'm a huge goals person. I don't even know how I became this person, but I'm a huge, huge, huge goals person. And one of the things that I do with my clients is I have them reevaluate their goals in six months. Well, actually, in a depending on what we're working on, but reevaluate them definitely at six months and a year. So I would definitely tell them to do that because if you're not reevaluating your goals, you really aren't sure where you're going and why. And you're really not holding them accountable to your values, I feel like. And as your values shift and they become um, some more important than others, prioritizing, your goals also are going to have to shift. And I think that a lot of us, I found for myself as a grad student, getting stressed out, even as a person on postdoc, getting stressed out because what I thought was going to be my life was not shaping up to be the life that I had at all. And I that happened because I just knew I just wanted to be graduating and done. Yeah. And I didn't go back and revisit any goals. This didn't happen until I actually got on my real job. And I was like, okay, I need to set some goals in place. These people are having these meetings and talking about goals for a reason. I need to implement that into my own life. And it began to work wonders. So as somebody who's going through postdoc, I would tell them, write them down, revisit them. See if they still make sense for the person that you're becoming six months from now or a year from now and see if you need to reevaluate those. There's a reason that people have performance evaluations periodically at work because things change and we also need to do the same thing. Because life life changes. The goals I had when and I just, first got out of school compared to going through a divorce, compared to like <laughs> I'm in China. I mean, there's a lot of yes. things in life that I would not have told doing this with you today uh, five years ago. Come on. Yes. No. And I got a divorce too. So my entire life shifted I was on internship, went through a divorce, finalized the divorce on postdoc. So everything about who I thought I was, completely different. Yeah. So I had to reshape my goals, reshape my life to what it was now because I just wasn't that person anymore. I was not the same person who entered undergrad. I wasn't the same person who went through a doctoral program. I'm completely different now than I even was four years ago. Yeah. 
So I can't have the same goals, and I've got to understand that those continue to change. I tell you what, dating in your late twenties and thirties was way different than when you was a freshman in high school and college. Oh my goodness. Oh, yes. <laughs> you actually have to think about longer term things with people and you have to think about risk. You don't really think about risk when you're dating like undergrad. You're like, everybody is fun and I'm going to just have fun. Oh, I mean, you cut them out so quick when you get older too. You're like, you know what? This is. Right. So your time, right? Doesn't your time sort of become more important? Like you're not, you know what? You're not going to waste my time. Nope. This is too valuable to me. I have stuff I got to do. Yeah. So either you're with me or you're not. Yep. And if you got the goals, <laughs> you know, if marriage is still in your game plan, then it's like I don't right. have time to waste. I already know what I want. And that's the thing about getting older. I always tell people, I would not. People say, oh, it's my 21st birthday 15 years from now. They've been celebrating 21st birthdays for 15 years. There's no way in the world I want to re-celebrate being 21. No. I'll celebrate 30 <laughs> okay. again, though. That was... Yeah, 30 was cool. Like something happened for me at 27 uh, that sort of completely shifted me. I feel like I became an adult at 27, 28. So there's no way that I would like to go back to being 21. Mm -mm. That's just an extension of adolescence. I don't want to do it. Mm -mm. 21. (laughs) Well, you may or may not have this, but as far as staff, how do you hire good staff? How do you train them? What makes staff valuable? Actually, this is very new to me. So I was one of those people because I'm overly ambitious and I can do everything. I was one of those people who thought that I could do everything by myself until I started thinking. So I recently hired a virtual assistant and someone to help transcribe for me. Nice. <laughs> because I, I was like, I can't, I, I could do this by myself. And plus I have a sister who can do it and, and she can help and I was going to enlist family and it just doesn't work out that way. So I finally had to break down and hire a virtual assistant. And and that's really new for me. And I think that it has been helpful. And so I I went through a couple of virtual assistants and some of them, of course, just like any other job, just want to work for the money. And then I finally kind of got settled on this one because she was referred by uh, somebody that I trusted and she wanted to see my business grow. That is that was important to me. Nice. She wanted to see my business do well and wanted to see me do better. And that was like, okay, we're going to work together. And so that's how I, that's how I chose her. What stuff is she doing for you? So helping me with my email list, because we don't learn these things in grad school, right? Everything is going to be free and you're going to do a service for everyone. And you're just going to be really nice and, and help all the people Ooh. in the world. <laughs> Give me that email. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, and she's helping me with my email list. She's helping me clean up um, my social media um, and helping me stay consistent with that planning. She's also helping me uh, with my scheduling and getting people scheduled into consultation mm-hmm. sessions and helping me uh, keep a handle on that. One of the blogging. So I love to write and I just haven't been able to find the time. So she's helping me with blogging as well. Blogging and then getting blogging, uh, speaking opportunities from those blogging um, posts. I heard this trick where you can record, like if you're driving and you're like, oh my gosh, that is such a great idea. I wish I had time to write this down. You just verbalize everything. You can either pay your VA or somebody else to um, a buck a minute. And then all you got to do is edit it later and boom, everything you ever wanted. Let me tell you, this is, this is uh, sort of free info, but everybody knows about Fiverr by now. But Fiverr is amazing. Legit. 
Yes. So you can get somebody. I did a whole webinar and I was going to sit down and I was going to write this book because as a grad student, you're taught you're going to write from the beginning until the end. And it needs to have research and it needs to have all these sources to back. It just needs to be flawless. Right. So I had done this webinar the last two hours. I was going to go rewrite that entire webinar into a book until somebody sat me down and they said, I said, okay, yeah, I'm working on this book. This is my plan. They said, Ebony, you have a book. And I said, what do you mean? They said, you did that very thing on a webinar a couple months ago that you're talking about turning into a book. Why won't you get that webinar transcribed, edit it, and there's your book? And I was like, that's a thing? <laughs> what? That's the thing you mean? It doesn't take me a year like it did the dissertation. I can actually do this. And so I think this has taught me to stop being a perfectionist so much um, and to kind of let go of some of those things that I was taught again that I was taught and realized that there are so many ways to do things and it doesn't have to be exactly like you were taught in order for it to be effective. And caveat with Fiverr, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you will blow. Sometimes you're going to lose some money, but you're only going to be losing between five and $50, which is still cheaper than like hiring a professional. That's like 500 an hour. I've got some amazing graphics out of Fiverr. So I'm I'm super sold on Fiverr. Like, oh yeah, nobody can tell me anything wrong with Mm-mm. Fiverr. <laughs> I got two books, two books under my belt with that. A bunch of bunch of graphics for the podcast, my See, T-shirts. I'm behind the curve, but I'm catching yeah. up. So one of the things that you asked um, about what I wanted college students to know, and I think this later, I may be jumping ahead of myself. But one of the things that I would like to do, and one of my things that I know that I want to do within the next five years is begin to go to um, college programs and talk about implementing social media into curriculums because this is what we're missing. When we leave school, a lot of my colleagues had no idea. They're like, Ebony, what are you doing? And I had them inbox me and say, hey, so do you have your LLC? What are you doing? How do you do this? And we just don't learn that side of things and things are becoming more and more um, social media, right? And everybody is on social media. And if that's where people are, that's where we have to meet them. In order to be effective professionals, we've got to learn how to do that. And we've got to learn how to work it. And I don't think a lot of us know how. Um, And so we've got to begin to build that into curriculum. It's great to talk about fraud and to talk about theory. And we need to know that stuff. We also need to know how to make this something that we do that is going to be helpful for people since they're already there. And you can do all of that without breaking barriers and like ethical guideline yes. fractures and all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's totally doable. It's totally doable. Just be who you are. It's totally doable. And and I think that we get so, get caught up. It's, it's going to be an uphill battle, but I think it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had, even if just as an elective or uh, a preferred reading or a suggested reading for people who are interested in that. I think that it, it needs to start somewhere. Because we need to be yeah. heard. I feel like as professionals who are professionally trained, we need to be heard. Experience is good, but theory and research is also good. And we need to kind of have that to back up some of the experiences. We just got to, we got, we have to exactly. be out there. Well, what else are you doing as far as marketing that's really helped to grow your coaching and grow your private practice? What are you doing? What's working? Live. It is such a task, but going live has been the single most uh, successful thing that I've done and just getting myself out there. So I started on Periscope. 
um, when Periscope actually first started. So I was on there every day, seven days a week, um, going you. for hours at a time. Like it was just, yes, I would be on there for, yes, on there for like an hour, hour and a half, uh, two hours sometimes. Then I had a couple coaches kind of say, Ebony, you're giving away everything. Nobody has to sign up to work with you because you're giving away the information. So um, I did that since 2015. I started that. And then um, this year, I just started to, to scale back and just provide the what instead of the how. Um, and that has helped. And then Instagram. So going live on Instagram as well. Um, so Instagram mm. and doing ads on Instagram and also Facebook ads. So when you're doing free webinars, doing Facebook ads and um, telling people to sign up and getting people on your email list, um, that kind of thing. So but going live was the single most important thing or most effective thing that I, I could have done. What kind of topics are you talking about with all these webinars? Oh, I, so I would talk about how to end your toxic relationship with food. I would talk about where to start when you want to lose weight. So common questions that people had. I would talk about the keto diet. So hot topics. I would talk about carb, like carb cycling, because I've done that as well. Intermittent fasting. I've done intermittent fasting. I've done everything. Um, and then I would talk about uh, kind of some of the basics of weight loss and where, like, what you need to understand how to pick a correct diet, that kind of thing, or how to pick a correct regimen, that kind of thing. And, and uh, one of the other ones that I did, I did with another, I did with nutritionist and kind of a, a natural healing person. And we did one that blended all, we had actually a show on Periscope where we would come on every Wednesday and talk about it from each of our perspectives and give nine tips on a certain issue, like how to lower your sugar, um, how to choose fruit and how much fruit should you eat and that kind of thing. So it was a range of topics. So you were given a doctor's perspective? Yeah, I was given my uh -huh. perspective as a doctor. And then the other woman was a personal trainer. And then the other woman was a natural. She healed herself naturally from diabetes. Um, and she was also a psychologist. So what, what's your end game? So they watch the webinar and then they buy a book or they book you they for a consult or, or they book me into one of my programs. So I had an eight week. Um, so I had an eight week program and then a 12 week program that I'm revamping actually. Um, and then, or they go into my smoothie challenge that I had that runs a couple times a year. But the end goal was always to either get on my mailing list or enter into one of my, um, sign up for a consult, enter into one of my programs that I had running at the time. So I had one where we were, uh, specifying goals and values. And so I do a webinar before I did that. And so people find out kind of what goals are and then they go sign up for, and some of them were free, go sign up for the, the goals course or actually uh, pay to enter into the four week goals course or e-course. But the end goal has always been to come into another program. So you have like an ascension letter. Yes, like a funnel. Okay. Like what they call it. the buzzword now is funnel. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What do you use? So I was using Zoom uh, and free conference call. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't worked my way up okay. to AWeber yet because free conference call was working and I bought Zoom, the subscription. So I've just been using Zoom for now. Okay. Yeah. And has this become a, a profitable supplemental income? Well, yes. But everything that I make goes right back into the business. So I Boy, isn't that the way it is? Yeah, I, I haven't been able to, and I actually am. I think I'm blessed in that way that I haven't been able to, I haven't wanted for anything and haven't needed to pay myself and everything that I should get, I just put it back into the business. Very good. And I, I take courses and I pay for it. Like recently, myself and my sister went to a blogging conference in Miami. 
we paid the business paid for us to go to Miami, and I, and that was great. Uh, so we didn't have to pay our own money for that. And of course, being two and a half years into this, uh, we're still learning how to pay ourselves. Um, but when we need something like we need to travel, go to a speaking engagement, go to a conference, the business is able to take us there. So it is profitable in that way. And I'm sure there's mentors that can guide you yes. as well to how to ramp it up a little higher, how to offer one-on-one coaching more. Oh, finding the right one, because there's a lot of people, as you probably know, who have, they have the magic potion and you just need to sign up with them and everything is going to be great and then it ends up being a fluke. So, yep. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to be doing all the work, spending all the money and you're still like, I'm still back where I was at. What have I learned from you? I could I could tell somebody else this so I probably need to be a business coach. <laughs> you could. Just package it correctly. <laughs> That's what it is. It's all about packaging. What's the, where, where's Dr. Ebony seeing herself in five years? So I see myself doing so much and, and again, I'm overly ambitious, but I do see myself as being an author of several books. I want to get more. I want to get out of the um, online. I still want my online presence, but I want to pair that with public speaking, big in-person speaking engagements. I want to be I want to have a conference that runs annually, kind of like a a retreat um, where women come and for the weekend and get healing and, and tackle some of their goals and really leave with some really in, important things or uh, helpful things that they can start to implement. So I see myself doing that annually. I also see myself doing a lot of speaking engagements more on a collegiate level and talking to professionals. Um, I see myself being a coach, like a business coach. I do see myself going there because I've also acquired all of this knowledge that I can help other people sort of get to where I am. I've had people inbox me and instead of picking my brain, they can enter into one of my <laughs> one of my programs. I also see our yeah. business branching out to um, to include other people working under the umbrella of my sister's keeper, which is the name of our company, um, as as coaches mm-hmm. and as as uh, when we sort of determine what that's going to look like, but as um, people who are providing a service as well. So we can hire on other coaches who work for My Sister's Keeper with their own clients with the same shared mission. Longer term, I would love to have a brick and mortar studio where people can actually come and it encompasses everything. It encompasses the coaching, the psychotherapy, uh, the nutrition, and it also has a studio where people can come and do some uh, light workouts and learn technique. Um, for kind of moderations or people with pain, that kind of thing. I would love to see that happen in a brick and mortar. I was just kind of thinking when you said you wanted to have like a woman's seminar, mm-hmm. what's stopping you from just having like five to 10 people? Yeah. Or, or, you, or when you think seminar, do you think like 300 people? Yeah, that's my problem there. So when I think conference and seminar, I think it has to be packed to the ceiling, right? And so nothing is stopping me from having a conference. People have asked me for it. People have asked me to come to their city. There's nothing stopping me time because I still am a full-time psychologist. So I still have uh-huh. that to do and sort of carving out the time. But I have already written my goals for 2018 and I'm going to at least have two. So I want to at least have two. Right at the beginning around March, um, I want to have one and then right around uh, August, September, back to school after summer is over. Because those, what I found in the weight loss industry, um, it, it, there's an ebb and flow. And people are really motivated at the beginning of the year. They're really motivated around September. But if you lose them after September, you've lost them because Halloween comes and then there's candy. And then um, Thanksgiving and then Christmas comes and very few people, they're still trying to get healthy, but they're not as eager and as uh, sort of excited about it. 
So I had to learn that. I was really bummed when you're I was like, oh, people, the, the business has slowed down. It's like, oh, it's just that's what business does. Sometimes it's, it's greater than other times. And so just recognizing when those patterns are and then taking advantage of it. More effort yeah. in like August yes. or something. Very good. Well, where do you see your your health field kind of going in the next five years? You, you've kind of, it seems like you're kind of branching out a little bit more than the average person, but where do you see your specialty going? Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this as it relates to psychology. I definitely see psychology becoming more open and sort of getting from behind the whole you need to come to an office and really branching out and becoming more visible in the community and online. I am so excited about the opportunity to be able to create the profession that that you want. You can still be a psychologist and you can be whatever you want to be within that realm. Somebody who graduated, uh, they were psychologists. They were the, they were on Lady Gaga's personal team. So they were, yes. So uh, I went to a seminar one time and they pointed it out. He was the guy carrying the notebook behind Lady Gaga, but he wasn't her therapist. He was kind of her motivational person. And we can do so much more than actually sit behind a desk and provide psychotherapy. We have the knowledge, we have the skills to be so much more. And we have to, and I think I see the field becoming more creative in that sense. I would like to see the field become more creative in that sense because we have so much to offer. So that's what I see as far as health goes. I think a lot of people are coming into their own and recognizing that I can do what works for me and I don't have to follow one particular regimen. I can actually do a hodgepodge of things if I wanted to, as long as it's effective for me and finding out mm-hmm. what works for me. I've, I've been so excited to see that happen for people and people actually jump off the bandwagon, so to speak, to say, hey, I can actually still drink coffee and still be healthy. I don't have to do away with everything and be this and go to these extremes. I need to do what's effective. So I love that because I don't like the right or wrong perspective. I like the effective, ineffective. What's working for you was not working for you and what's not working for you as it relates to your goal. We need to find a way to, to get that to something that is working for you. So I think the more people take that approach, I think the the better all people will, would sort of be as it relates to getting their health in order. And I see the field, I see people in the field beginning to take that approach versus do what I say do and don't ask me any questions because that, that hasn't worked for anyone. Right. Well, I can totally agree with that because some people respond worse with bread versus milk versus gluten. And it's like, maybe you don't need to be gluten free. Yeah. You just need to be milk free. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work. And, and this one size fits all sort of approach to weight loss has not it's worked baloney. for ages. And I like to see that people are yeah. saying, you know what, that doesn't work for me. This actually works for me. And becoming more explorative in, in their uh, exploratory in their approach to their health, because this is we've always uh, sort of left to the experts to figure out what's wrong with me. But now I'm figuring out what's wrong with me and I'm taking control of it. And I really do like that. Same here. Yeah. All right, so we're going to switch gears just a little bit here. You ready? I can't even imagine. You sound like a super busy lady. So, Dr. Ebony, if you can take vacation, are you able to take enough? And if not, what can you do to take more? You know what that word means? Vacation? Actually, actually, I told them. (laughs) I actually was talking to a colleague about this. I believe in vacations. I do not believe in working yourself to the bone. So every, every month I go somewhere. Like this weekend, I'm going back home to my homecoming. I went to the Margarita Festival last weekend. Um, so I'll sometimes vacation right here where I am because Austin used to be a place where I vacationed often. So since I'm here, I take the weekend, I go places, I shut the computer completely down, and I just, I'm just not 
plugged in. And so I'll go to Dallas, I'll go to Houston, I'll go to, I'll go back home to Mississippi. I was going to go to Atlanta, uh, but I had to, I ended up having to cancel that for work. But I'll go to DC, I'll go to Denver, and I get this email all the time from um, Flight Deal. The Flight Deal, I don't know if you heard of that, but they send me automated emails and they tell me about specials that they have, but you've got to kind of be quick. I saw one where you could go to Australia from Dallas for $172 round trip, but you have to jump Stop on it. them. And yes, so I do things like that. So I'll kind of look for things and, uh, and I just found the travel tip yeah, for the, the week. Flight deal. And so I'm planning now to go to Boston in January. And then I'm going to, I'm going to New Orleans in December, Boston in January, um, Italy in the summertime. And then, uh, the Bahamas over the summer as well. So I believe in taking a vacation. I don't believe in overworking. <laughs> I, mean, I like that. That's not healthy for the fact that you have three big vacations yeah. planned, too. <laughs> Not one, but no. three. I mean, if you're going to be ambitious in life, you have to be ambitious across the board. Don't just let it stop with work. That's right. I mean, and really, you could take an hour in your trip and do something oh, online. Yes. That way you don't fall oh, behind, here's too. here's something funny. All through grad school, I took my computer everywhere that I went. So I never missed a family vacation. We went to Miami probably every year that I was in grad school. And I would be on the beach with my computer typing in my little questions. And they would always talk about me. But I would get it done because I didn't want that lingering guilt, you know, that I have something I need to do and I haven't done it yet. I'm out here having fun. Yeah. So I would do my work and I would put my computer away. And I did. And I would have like a 20-page paper due on Tuesday. I'm out on Miami Beach on Saturday typing my paper away. And I'm still having a good time. I don't know how that happened, but I made sure. That Selfieing on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but selfies weren't in then. I don't think anybody was taking selfies. Like, Isn't that good, yeah. though? Isn't that great? <laughs> so my professors didn't know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, look, kids, hobbies and volunteering or anything else out there, what, what preoccupies your so mind? So here's the thing that I think is interesting that a lot of people are going to be like, what, girl? So I am also uh, a food blogger. Come on, business. Yes, I have a separate business with five of my best friends. Was well, five of us? Four of my other best friends. We're actually food bloggers, and I bring the the. We all kind of try to live a, a balanced lifestyle, but I'm a little bit more into it than than they are, and I bring the healthy perspective to it and talk about ways that you can make comfort food healthier and that kind of thing. But we're also we food blog, like we go to different places. We're the, we're the weird people taking pictures of food. Uh, so when I get to have a cheat meal, I'm taking a picture of it and I'm posting about it. Um, and we are uh, soul food bloggers specifically. So we're looking for food that is um, specific to different cultures or traditions, food that are staples. And so we're always talking about that. And uh, so that takes up my time as well. What is considered a soul food? So food that is traditional and uh to, to who you are and how you were raised it's like a staple something that i you identify with that feels like home ah that feels it feels like home it doesn't necessarily have to be mac and cheese because from mississippi it's mac and cheese it's macaroni and cheese i mean i mean it was well, mac and cheese is macaroni and cheese. greens pork chops smothered everything uh something yep. that has some fat back in it um all of that. And then you go to, you go down, like I went down to Miami and I learned that one of the staples is plantains. Uh -huh, so, yeah. I mean, things like that, like it feels like home. You go to these places, you seek out these things and it gives you some sense 
of what it must be like to live in that culture and why people get so excited to gather around that particular dish. And something those local yeah. homegrown yes. cooking. Yes, we love that. So we try to figure out wherever we go. And, and most times we're traveling state to state, but we're trying to. Um, so one of our members moved to Italy. So that's why we're going to Italy to spend some time over there doing some blogging and some traveling. So we're trying to figure out what different things are. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, so I'm excited. <laughs> oh, man. That's another blog. That's another podcast for another day with the stuff I've, I've figured out. Yes, yeah, so I bet you have some awesome dishes and some, oh my God, amazing stories. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Okay. One of my favorite dishes is, it's like beef jerky, and then they fry it up with mint what? and uh, red peppers. Oh, that actually sounds really good. But it's dried out in the sun. Oh. So it's not quite like beef jerky. Anyway, it's called. It, it doesn't matter what it's <laughs> called because it's on Chinese anyway. But that's what I call it, and it is delicious. And they fry peanuts all the time. Oh, oh, I love peanuts. Love, love, love. Yeah, I don't like boiled peanuts, but these fried I love peanuts. peanuts. Yeah. <sighs> so mushy. Yeah, I love, I love. Mm. So, oh, that's nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. China. How do you how do you get a home life balance? So I am still learning this. Sometimes work is so busy that I do have to bring things home. Um, but one of the things that I vowed to myself actually when I was on postdoc is that I wouldn't work on my computer when I got home. And I was successful in doing that on postdoc. I mean, when you have somebody else who's your supervisor, who's responsible for the bulk of things, that was fine. But then when I got my real job, um, I had to work on my computer at home because there's just not enough hours in the day. So I have to constantly right. remind myself to turn it off. And I have to really be realistic with myself and, and, and set expectations for myself and talk to myself several times throughout the week and let myself know that it's OK that you can't do everything in one night and that there are some things that you're just going to have to leave until tomorrow if you're going to stay sane or you'll be working the entire night because there's always something you can do. So I have to literally mm -hmm. set a time and say at this time it goes off. But I'm not, I don't always stick to that. And it's a constant thing that I have to do to remind myself weekly. You have to turn it off. Yeah. You have to get some sleep because things would be so exciting. I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, you're starting the podcast. It wakes you up. You want to get started on it so bad. Like it's so exciting. I don't want to go to bed till two o'clock because I'm enjoying yes, it. I'm enjoying it. And, and then you wake up with four hours of sleep. And after a while of doing that, you're exhausted and burnt out. So I have to remember yeah. what that felt like instead of what this excitement feels like. And that help, that helps to keep me in check. And so I'll just turn it off and unplug. I used to stay on Periscope till one o'clock in the morning, like listening to Periscope, going in and out of people's rooms, taking notes because everything was so fabulous. And I eventually had to tell myself phone goes off at, at 11 o'clock. Whatever you saw on Periscope, you can catch in the morning. And I had to tell myself that and it worked because I ended up getting sleep and I didn't feel crappy. I didn't feel burnt out. I felt actually more energized and I was able to go back on my own time, take the notes, be able to think about it a little bit. And it actually was more effective. You know, my wife's really good about letting me do what I need to do. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, a few days goes by and it's like, hey, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. You're right. So then I'll, I'll try to do Internet at work. I don't have. Mm -hmm. So I try to figure out, OK, what do I what can I do this without the internet? I'm going to do that at work on my downtime. And then when I'm home, I just do what I need to do on the internet. Otherwise, I would just kind of do it yeah. all and not, and not use your time wisely. Yeah. And then it leads to issues. And so you just got to, I've been figuring it out and, and testing the waters. Like When yeah. you have a partner, it makes that. it really hard, a partner or children. So that really uh, started to affect my relationship as well because I was on Periscope all night. 
doing live things, creating content all night. And my partner was like, you know what? I'm here. And can you pay attention to me? I said, you just don't understand. This is really important. And I had to realize that, yes, that's important. But you've also got to make your partner, your kids, your family feel like they're just as important as this new great thing that you're about to do. And because if they don't feel like they are important or involved in the process, it can really feel like you're placing that above them. And I have to be cognizant about that and to involve her into what we're doing and what I'm doing. Ask them, you know, what's your opinion? How can, you know, what do you think this would be? How do you think I could help? Who do you think I can reach with this message? That kind of thing. Because it did kind of get to a point at one time where it was like, is this more important than our relationship? And it's just not, it's just not worth it. Yeah, that's definitely, that's, that, that conversation will definitely yeah. happen yeah. if, if- if that's if you're always on the phone and always on the computer, because I had this phone, that was a big thing. You don't ever just watch TV. I was like, you don't understand. People are messaging me, and I need to message them back. This is very important, <laughs> especially Facebook. I looked at my little rating. They're like, takes at least one day, fifty percent response rate. I was like, well, by golly, I'm on a different time zone right. than these people. That's it. All the stats just make you feel like you need to be like right there, right away, but. The same yeah. person who had that question will be okay. And I've had to learn this when you get back to them. People are not as fragile as I think they are. And they are very resilient. And when you get back to them in a timely fashion, they'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. So That's I had right. to learn that myself. <laughs> I'm a little nervous to ask this question because I think you are going to have a bullet point. Oh. Morning or a lunch routine that excites you for the rest of the day? No. Uh, So one of the things I actually have, because I'm training right now, I only have three things that I do. And that's go to the gym. I write in my gratitude journal and I listen to, I found this, one of my friends uh, told me about this meditation app. So I keep my headphones beside my bed. And when I wake up in the morning, I plug it in, start the timer for like five minutes and do a meditation just to get me out of bed. But that's literally all I do. Which one? It's called, uh, it's on my phone somewhere, but it's, it's called Insight Timer. Insight, Insight Timer. Okay. They have gratitude meditations on there, meditations for sleep, meditations to relax, meditations to stay in the moment. They last from one minute to one hour. Um, you can do whatever fits your schedule, and that has been so helpful. It reduces stress when you're um, going to bed at night. Just leave everything where it is. Clear your mind. Get some good sleep, even if it's just for a couple of hours. Then wake up in the morning, start refreshed. That has been really, really helpful. So, yeah, that's it. That's all I do. Go to the gym because that's a requirement. <laughs> there we go. All right. So the last two questions. These are fun. Do you happen to have any kind of favorite book, blog, a podcast that you secretly love and one that you definitely think everybody should check so out? So I definitely think everybody should check out Pathway to Will by Mae McCarthy. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Uh, she's uh-uh. the one who kind of got me started into writing the gratitude journal. Uh, but you actually speak things, and it's age old, but you speak things that are happening now. But she talked about it in a way that clicked for me that I hadn't thought about it before. And, it, and it's really geared towards business, really geared towards business and creating business and being successful in business. So I think everybody needs to read that one. Um, I, I love this podcast, The Urban Monk. I don't know if you've heard that one, but it's by Pedram Shodai. Yeah, it's a, I, I just found him randomly one day. What's that about? So he talks about a range of things. I first started talk, listening to him. He was talking about gut health and talking about what you can do to regulate oh. your gut. And so he has things on there about stress and 
uh, intermittent fasting. So uh, meditation. He talks about arranging. He's a medical doctor as well. So he, talks about oh, okay. he has guests on who will come in and talk about those things. And he'll ask some questions like what you're doing. Very much like what you're doing. Yeah. And then I have another podcast that's therapy for black girls that I love. Uh, it's Joy Harden Bradford. Um, I love her podcast. And so she basically tackles issues that you'll see in the news. Um, uh, you know, she'll put a she'll talk about modern events or current events and then talk about what that means for us as black women and uh, sort of breaking the stigma associated with mental health and how that impacts us and some things that we need to kind of start thinking about. So I love that. Yeah, that sounds yes, great. I love, I love podcasts. I'm going on a drive yeah. this weekend. I cannot wait because that's the time that I get to listen to a bunch of these podcasts. I get new ideas and it's fabulous. Oh, I hear that. Yeah. All right, last question because you've been so good with your time and I appreciate oh. it. Any favorite phone app, business or pleasure? I love, and this may sound a little bit weird, but I love the cash app because when people owe you, they can just pay you. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the most brilliant thing. I was like, like PayPal was cool, but the cash app is really cool. Uh, I actually, we are going on a, I'm going on a trip this weekend and I had to send some money to my aunt and I sent it to her and I don't have to go to a bank. I don't have to go sit in line. I don't have to write a check. I just send it and it's done. Um, and I love Snapchat and Netflix, of course. It is, I'm just curious now, is cash app not any different than like using your Chase account and sending money that so, way? So, it's, it's not different, but my aunt would have to have access to something else in order to get that money. So I don't know. I think she, I would have to take it, send it to her bank or, or something uh, like that. But with the cash app, I'm still sending it to her bank. I don't think they get it right away. I need to look into that because sometimes the person has curious. a Wells Fargo account. I can send money right to them if I need to. The cash app just, I think it, for me, it feels a lot less formal and it's, oh, just find me on here and then I'll get dinner this time. You can pay me half, just send me cash. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you can get it right away in some instances. I mean, I don't know what Facebook and uh, WhatsApp and all that stuff waiting on. In China, we have WeChat and we can just send money to each other all the time. I can go to the grocery store really? and they just they just scan my barcode off my phone. And I mean, it's not a... You don't have to pay with a card or anything? No, your 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 app is paired to your debit card, Ooh. and you just funnel some money in there, and then it's just back and forth, well, back I and forth that, all day long. I, I do not carry cash on me, and but I always have my mm -mm. phone. And if they can just that be that's just like that's the future. I think I need to figure out this Android Pay and Apple yeah. Pay because I'm just kind of like I don't know how it works. It doesn't seem like a lot of places even use it. So I'm just like, is it really worth my time? A lot of time? people don't use it. Like if I go to the grocery store here, they don't have Apple Pay on there. They have the little machine. I can't scan my phone there. But they need to get some system where you can just pay with your phone because that's where we're going. That's, that's where we're headed. Business person to business person. That sounds to me like I got to pay even more money for the terminal. Probably a higher yeah. rate. If they use it, you're like, yeah, it's great for the customer. Yeah, yeah. It's like four and a half percent for me, true, though. True. Thanks That's a lot. So. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I have to put that head on. And I'm like, for me, it's more convenient if I can just show you my phone. But yeah. That's right. But yeah. All right. So how can people get in contact with yeah, you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Ebony Online. That's D-R-E-B-O-N-Y Online. 
You can find me on Periscope at Ebony Butler, PhD. And you can definitely um, check out our website at mysisterskeepher.com. Mysisterskeep-her.com. Very good. This has been a great hour. Thank you so much for your time and being so open. I really hope that the, the podcast is able to bring some more people people your way, funnel yes. them your way, and uh, that they can really pick your brain. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity. I was really excited when you uh, reached out to me. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I love to do it. So I'm glad that we were able to find time. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Dr. Butler, you blew my mind today. Going live to one o'clock in the morning, finding topics to talk about all that time. That's amazing. Plus the insights you had into food psychology and how to overcome that. We appreciate you on this show, sharing it all. Great resources for us to check out later. And I'm sure we all look forward to seeing Dr. Butler's Woman Workshops live in person. All the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash four seven. Travel tip at the end. I've got some new things to talk about. Of course, you can always review us. Give us that five-star review on wherever you listen. But I got four new t-shirts. You know, there's chiropractors, some of them that just like to adjust. There's some like me who do rehab and, you know, decompression and cold laser, things like that. And we call us straights versus mixers. So I created some mixed tour shirts. Uh, they're supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek. Hope you like them. Also, the Atlas I have to remove the dins, so therefore, check that out. Maybe you'll like that better. Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health Book, version 2.0, is now out. We got nerve stretches, optimal calorie counter calculators, a section on fasting, and a big old section on how to budget and try to get your financial life in order. All the things that I talk about all the time. It's over 100 extra pages, so get it now. Bonus, my new hot off the presses book. Needless Acupuncture, Self-Treatment Guide for 40 Common Conditions is finally finished. It's been uh, in the works for quite a while. Stop the hurting with no needles or meds. Your roadmap to self-treat your conditions painlessly with needless acupuncture. It's got pictures. It has descriptions. It has, of course, the conditions. And I plan to have video tutorials soon. Just go to the website and check it out. Also on the website, look on the top right. All the social media icons are right there. Whichever you like to follow me on, click that button and say hello. Travel tip this week is theflightdeal.com, like she mentioned. It is an affiliate site, so what they'll do is find flights from a city that you pick. So if you're from Chicago, you click Chicago, and it'll list a bunch of different areas, like maybe a trip to Europe at a good price. Maybe it's just a trip to Phoenix. And then it tells you on the bottom of the site how to book it so that they can get a commission. Theflightdeal.com. Check it out if you want. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.